0: Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping It PG. We've had a little bit of a hiatus, but we are glad to be back and we are glad that you're back with us. And just as a quick refresher, uh, the goal of Keeping It PG is pretty simple, to have interesting conversations with interesting people. And we're very excited for today's conversation with Dr. Morleen Getz-Rouse, but universally known and beloved as Mo. Mo spent 31 years as a professor of electronic media at the University of Cincinnati. She's also served as a communications coach, been in 3,000 different commercials, and in one biography that I found, it noted that she had once, and I quote, uh, had a party given for her by the KGB. Given current events, I promise I will ask her about that. As a second act, she opened Mannequin Boutique in Over the Rhine, which sells vintage clothing and jewelry. All of the proceeds are then donated to various local charities, places like Tender Mercies, First Step Home, the Free Store Food Bank, and many others she's a real renaissance woman and just in the time that I, sh- I should note to set the scene here we are sitting in our kitchen she already has a little bit of wine coursing through my veins we've been talking about a uh someone with a uh interesting uh background as uh, a felon who did uh, a lot of time in jail who mo was sort of taken on as a mentee she has shown me the the tattoo she got on her back when she turned 70 years old. So uh, I present to you a real renaissance woman, as I mentioned, uh, Mo Rouse. Mo, welcome to the podcast, and I, the last thing I should mention by way of introduction, uh, I, th- I think you might uh, sort of stretch the boundaries of this being called keeping it PG. So I know your language need not adhere to the title of the podcast. We're glad you're here.
1: I'll work my best to keep it PG.
0: <laughs> we I don't can- want you to. I can't
1: promise, but I will really try, and I don't know that I'm so much a renaissance woman as a tacky woman no no no, no, no. i don't know honey okay. i don't know no to,
0: to, to those that know you both especially in cincinnati but many well beyond cincinnati you're a fascinating person but take us back to the very beginning uh you know where'd you grow up how'd you grow up how'd you become mo rouse oh god
1: <laughs> um I, does anyone you know i it, it always does start at the beginning, and yet I don't know if anyone ever cares. But you know, Chicago, Michigan, went to University of Michigan, auditioned for the big musical, which was directed by Jack Rowe. Got in, left that musical, got a better role in Gypsy, being a stripper. <laughs> Wait, so what?
0: What musical was? It the was one? A
1: Wonderful Town, and it's the first thing I ever auditioned with, or d- auditioned for, for Jack. And,
0: Who we should and, make, we're gonna to get to this part of the narrative Jack yeah, Jackie's her husband. Yeah.
1: And I got in it, and then I went, I don't know why, but I went to a Ann Arbor Civic Theater audition for Gypsy, and there's a great number. I'm not a good performer at all, but I'm funny. Don't, be, so, don't believe her, no, folks. No, I know, really, I, trust me. And so uh, there was a great role as a stripper. In Gypsy, who lit up, who had lights all over her, and I thought that was that was a good fit. Yeah, it was. I thought that was much better than the backline chorus of Wonderful Town. So I left Wonderful Town, and everyone said, "Oh my God, you can't leave Wonderful Town. Jack will never, never cast you again." And I thought, well, you know, those are the breaks. So anyway, I did, I did Gypsy, and then the next year, I did audition for West Side.
0: Can can we pause there for a second? Mm -hmm. So the Mm -hmm. first time you met Jack, he's directing this play. You're a student at the University of Michigan. Right.
1: Right. I'm an. undergrad and he's working on his PhD and he's and he's directing and choreographing the big school musical at Michigan to make some extra money
0: and given that you all have now been married for fill in the blank here ever for forever since 40, right since 40, the,
1: 49 years since the
0: Garden of Eden oh my days, god right? well just, so so when that first moment he's directing you you're auditioning were you like God, the, the, the director is so handsome, he's no, so no, charming. No, no, no. I, just, any initial... I just wanted
1: to get through Honey Bun without you know, messing up the lyrics. How
0: can you mess up the lyrics to Honey Bun? From, Do you want to recount a few of the lyrics? I or, don't, okay. I don't. And, and Nor any... does anyone who's listening. <laughs> any exchange between the two of you at the no, time? No, but...
1: no, 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 no. We were friends for a long time before we got married. And, and I did some other shows. I did West Side Story. I was anybody's, the, the girl who wants to be part of the Jets. In West Side story, and then um, and then we did an original musical because it was a sesquicentennial of Michigan or something. and then we went to entertain the troops in Vietnam. Well we didn't go to Nam they wouldn't send this was the first time that that that, um, that college students were being sent to entertain the right. troops and it had always huh. been sort of B and C level celebrities right. with the exception of the Bob Hope right shows. sure sure. And so this was the first, and Jack had read something that it was, that the Defense Department was sending college groups. So this so that, is
0: 1960? This is, is 67. 67. So You're still an undergraduate.
1: I'm st- I'm, I had just, I was finishing up my master's. I had a children's show out of Detroit. It was the old, longest lasting, or the oldest children's show, local children's show in the country. Right. And I, I wasn't the, the, the star of it. I was, you know, one of three. And um, it was great. I was working on my my master's. I was going to school during the week, and then I'd drive into Detroit on Saturdays and, and record, record. And Jack
0: called you up and said, hey, we're, we're going to perform for the troops? or how?" Well, about?
1: yeah. He put the word out that anyone who'd ever been in his shows was welcome to audition, that he had gotten this thing through the Defense Department to go entertain the troops. As I said, not in Nam, but everywhere around Nam, uh, to hospitals and R&R centers throughout wow. the Pacific. So. um i was one who went there were 15 of us that's including the four musicians and um and what was your role oh we all it was a variety show i mean my solo was all a song called peel me a grape which is all the great (laughs) lines of may west Uh, that was my solo, and and um,
0: how much I, wine do you need to drink before we can get uh, you know a you few stands of? You, or...
1: you just don't want that. <laughs> I mean, it would make you throw up. Um, I, you know what? We not only two were trained musicians. The rest of us were sp- Spanish majors and speech majors, and we were just you know. I mean that that was way before people were very talented. at Fifteen as they are now, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, this is—we were cute. We were adorable. I was adorable.
0: And how big of crowds of troops were you performing for?
1: Thousands at times. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we do hospitals and R and R centers, and we went to seven. Let me see. We went to Okinawa, Guam, Philippines, wow. Seoul, Japan. We went to the DMZ. So at this point,
0: you're you know you're in your very early twenties. Had you already we, sort of seen and traveled the world, or was this new? Well,
1: to- I'd, I'd done the the typical college trip to Europe for three months and but that was that was pretty much it and I but I'd had my children's show and this was you know I was 21 when we when we did this trip and so you know to have your own children's show on NBC and you know have been to Europe it was pretty heady it was pretty terrific I, I don't know heady but it was it was terrific and I knew that I knew that I wanted a
0: big life yeah but knew- right, you certainly had it. We're gonna get yeah, 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 yeah. anything from the trip that was especially from from performing for the troops, Vietnam, nineteen sixty-seven. that's especially. Memorable, surprising. The...
1: Um, it, it was just sweet. Everything about it any was crazy sweet.
0: moments. Or... Yeah,
1: there was one. Uh, Jack would always. Jack. I'm oh, sorry. Say,
0: you guys were or weren't an item at this point. No,
1: we really weren't. Okay. We weren't. And and he would. He was the. MC. I think I
0: believe you. Yeah,
1: he, we weren't. <laughs> he was the MC, and he would open each show by or each uh, each number by saying, "And now Mo Gets, which is my maiden name. Mo Gets from South Haven, Michigan. You know, so after one of the the show, someone, one of the GIs came up to me and he said, I can't. Believe it. <gasps> I can't believe it. I said, what? He said, we're like neighbors. <laughs> I said, well, where are you from? He said, Kansas. <laughs> you know, and here I was from Michigan.
0: Yeah, close enough, yeah. And you
1: know what? It was all about the girl next door. Right. And we were that. Whether or not we had talent, we were cute, and we were the girl next door, and we were exactly what they
0: needed. And we were felt good to be the center of attention. Oh,
1: it was, it was, it was stunning. It was absolutely a stunning trip. And a lot of heartache. I mean there was a certain heartache, and you know we performed at we performed at hospitals, and right. without going into some of the stories that were just really tough. I mean, you you're singing "Fly Me to the Moon" or "Green Green Grass of Home," or I get a up, duet with you there. Yeah, right. Mind. Well, let's not do that to our <laughs> listeners. I've tried, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, but you know, you'd be singing it, and you'd be looking and smiling at these guys, and trying to keep up the the the, the good spirits yeah. when, in fact, they were without their eyes and without their limbs, limbs and yeah. without. And it, it it was um it was um it it was everything. Yeah. It was everything and, and I've had great experiences in my life and that still is the most
0: extraordinary. Yeah, what an extraordinary yeah. experience.
1: And we and we played for the people of Hiroshima one right. of our performances. And this summer uh, it's going to be the fiftieth year, yeah. and so I'm I'm planning to do a trip going back to about five of the locations.
0: Wow, what an
1: yeah. incredible trip! Yeah, you know, just why not?
0: So, so you've already got us at age twenty-one, but let's back up a little bit. First of all, just really basic question: When did uh, Morlene get start going by Mo, and why?
1: You know, I was a I was a waitress. South Haven, Michigan, where I grew up, was kind of like the Catskills of the Midwest. It was like Dirty Dancing. The Midwest. Now
0: you're speaking my language. Uh, Jennifer Gray, Patrick Swayze, eat your heart out.
1: Actually, I danced with Patrick Swayze. Uh, Did you really? Yeah. um, (laughs) When? Where? Well, I was on the board of a dance company in New York, and Patrick and his wife, Lisa, were big supporters of this company. Ah. And they were having a gala, and the two of them were there, and I was there because I was on the board, and I just said we have to dance and we did and he was charming and adorable and of course the, the most incredible dancer and then I danced with Lisa and Carmen de Lavalade and you know all these kind of Wow. big names yeah, the,
0: the joke in the Sittenfeld family is that being the baby boy with three older sisters as an 11 year old I had every line from dirty dancing memorized that you know it was a serious a, a sign of a dysfunctional youth clearly well no right.
1: I can see why they didn't want to put PG in the
0: corner <laughs> exactly you know? there, thank, and, you, thank uh, you PG baby.
1: And, and and Mo were never in the put in the corner
0: okay but so how, how Mo became Mo in oh terms so
1: of- I was working at one of these resorts and my bus boy who I kind of had a thing with um, <laughs> Um, i won 't tell Jack no, eh? no, and he, he couldn 't care less <laughs> um, he He said he called me Mo, and you know it was I was sixteen at the time and I just thought that was better than more lean. I mean, more when you're more lean, you just want to be Anne or Sue.
0: And when and the hunky busboy calls you something, it's, I guess right. it how
1: hunky he was? I'm not even sure, but he was cute.
0: And then temperamentally, you know, today everyone that knows you, you've never met a stranger. Uh, you're not necessarily one who bites her tongue. I mean, were those traits true from uh, day one, or what, you, what was sort of your, your personality when you were a you know kid, when you were uh, a teenager? Yeah,
1: I was. I was always very, um, aggressive, uh, uh, ambitious. Um, not for any other reason than I always had really great energy and I don't know where I got it. Uh, but I, I, but I had energy and I wanted to do everything from the moment. Right. And it didn't matter what it was. I mean, I, whatever I did, I, I really did with gusto. Right. So, um, that's really, that's really my M O M O E actually. My, <laughs> um, I just have, even at 72, I, I, I have not met, I've had some young people work for me in my store and they're lovely and they're charming and their skin is much
0: tighter than mine.
1: However, <laughs> they're not per- they can't... I don't think they could keep up with now you it. Got, I, I you, truly you, don't. You have
0: my... my for, for those who maybe don't know Mo personally, which uh, will be many of our listeners, uh, you know, I feel like every time I run into you, like, you know, I just got back from salsa dancing my way across Spain oh my with God, this Patrick yes. Swayze lookalike. And yes. No, you have incredible uh, zest for life. It's it's Yeah, I admirable.
1: do. I, you know, there was never a... I never was on a plane sitting next to someone who sounded at all interesting when I didn't say, may I have yeah, your car? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and, 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 I, and I always followed up on it. So, so yeah.
0: One, one more thing from the early years. So, mm-hmm. another thing that I read is that, and you maybe even still have this to this day, uh, somewhere a framed report card that reads, Morleen would be a good student if she would just stop talking. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, so talk to me about His that. His name
1: was Mr. Kleinman. It was seventh, That bastard. <laughs> I, oh, I know, absolutely. It was seventh grade. And I thought, what an ah, you know, just what an ah. Um, and what's interesting is that that he he gets me on talking, and yet that was what my PhD was in. It was in speech communications. It's what I, you know, I've been a voiceover person, on camera person for 40 plus years. It's how I made my living. It's how I made my, my reputation. Was, was that
0: a moment? I mean, obviously the fact that it's framed in your possession to this day, but was that a moment you look back on? You said, you know, just in part to give this guy the middle finger, I'm going to yeah, show him just well, what an asset.
1: You know, I, I do understand. I probably was lippy and stuff, but I. You know, I was a professor for 31 years, and I think the fact that he did that, wrote that, was actually very useful because what it said to me is... How powerful a teacher can be with uh, something they say.
0: Yeah. And
1: I always, I, I don't, I. It's not like I didn't say the bad bad things to students. I mean, I, I remember some faces where I said, "You just didn't do your homework. Just don't give me any crap." Right. You know, and I really gave them hell. But by and large, I think I was a very. A very understanding, tough, but understanding teacher, because I remember that Mr. Kleinman made that decision. When was, when was the
0: last time he heard from you?
1: Oh, my God. I mean, after seven, after he said that in
0: seventh grade, that was, that, was, it, huh? that was
1: in Miami Beach and we moved north. So I never
0: saw Mr. Kleinman again. But,
1: you know. Um, well,
0: he, he either deserves gratitude for the motivation or, you know, give, yeah. him, the, give him the middle finger up in the, the, yeah. the sky you know, above. I,
1: I, and I think we all make the mistake of looking at people who have been tough on us or stupid, or whatever, and not recognizing the the, the the lesson that they taught us. My father was a real loser, real loser, without going into the, you know, never an abuser or anything like that, right. but just a loser, just mm. never worked a, a day that I remember, right. inherited enough money to get by until they were in their, my folks were in their later years, And yet, I think of him as being probably the most powerful person in my life because he...
0: So formative. Well, he
1: taught me everything I didn't want to be. And you know what? I think sometimes we make a real mistake by looking at our past and saying, Oh, poor me. Oh, poor me. As opposed to saying, What did I learn from this? And what am I going to do differently? That's a healthy attitude. You know? I mean, I love my mother. I, I mean, she was my best friend. But my father taught me more because he gave me the example of what I never wanted to be or never wanted to marry or never wanted to da 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 Now there's, va-
0: there's value in that. You know, even even, even unintended. There is. So thirty-one uh, PhD, 31 years as a professor at the University of Cincinnati. When did you know that that was the path you wanted to go down?
1: I think I knew it from the beginning. I really was a born teacher. I loved it. I loved putting classes together. I loved writing lectures. I loved... You know, did I love all the students? No, I had some real... AH students <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a good thing
0: It's a, Just, a podcast You yeah, can say whatever you want Mo. Oh
1: that's true That's true um, They know who they are The, F- the FCC
0: um, won't uh, censor us
1: Yeah Oh my god I did many lectures On the FCC And the seven words That you never say On television Or on radio what, what are, or Do I want to know no, Those seven words No you don't But they were all What was his name Carlin George Carlin's Seven words You could never oh, say yeah. On radio Anyway I love those years And those years Were real interesting
0: In broadcasting That's when Well talk to folks About I guess you know the the main obviously it covers a lot of territory but the main things you were teaching
1: i taught documentary film history not making history i taught advertising marketing i taught uh, acting for all those years um i taught production in the earlier years and then i got bored with that and i didn't want to have to worry about mics that didn't work or cameras that weren't
0: you know, I, falling over. Uh, how much do you sort of follow the way in which a lot of those genres and mediums are changing? I mean, you Not think at about, all. Not yeah. at all. You how know come? what?
1: I because I followed them so closely, and I was a part of them. I, I always right. worked as a professional while I was teaching, and I'm really. I think that's why my students respected me. I, I was both a, a performer. You I know, mean, I was on a radio show. Fifty thousand. It was. <laughs> I don't want to go there, but anyway, for six months I was on. W-C-K-Y, God knows whatever, with Jerry Thomas. And, um, you know, got I, I was teaching full time. I, I mean, was working at P&G as an outside contractor, coaching all their executives on their year-end meeting speeches, like 40 of them, and getting up at four in the morning to do this early morning zest, drive. Zest for Jared life. Thomas, don't ask. I was 50 years old at the time, and I thought to myself, how could a 25-year-old do this? Yeah. And I really, I look back to those days, and, and I was pretty incredible. I was pretty incredible doing all that. But anyway, it was all interesting. Um, but I was a born teacher. I loved teaching. I loved imparting information. I loved being a sounding board for young people who were going through, you know, treacherous times. Right. And with parents not always there. no, know, those are weighty
0: years in young they people's lives. They are weighty lives. years,
1: and and I think I made some difference. I'd like to think at least I did. And but but then by uh, by 31 years of it. Um, you know, I would have stayed to the end of my life, but the person who was the chairman of my department was a real ah <laughs> <laughs> we do get back to you're that you're sort of
0: thematizing this oh, podcast my, yes, here exactly Wait, let's, let's take a detour <laughs> into these 3,000 commercials mm-hmm. so um let folks who are listening know you know who were you doing these commercials from any lines you want to recite what's the key to you know, you know having I, the right the right ingredients to do that
1: you know i was never i mean
0: you probably sold all of us something you know probably, one way or another probably
1: did i mean i think i worked for everyone in cincinnati and these i worked big recently, names yeah and I worked and I did some national things for Procter & Gamble and um, the thing is I was never a good live performer I hmm. truly wasn't I was cute when I did the Far East thing and so on and so forth but I was never a good actress but I was a good on mic performer hmm. and on camera performer in terms of training films and what was such. the secret sauce there I knew how to work the microphone I knew how to work my voice um, I if I don't think about it, I use my upper register and I'm kind of squeaky and and unappealing. No, well, no, it is mostly a women's issue. It Uh. it really is. I mean, women tend to use their what we call our head voice as opposed to our chest voice, and so we get up (laughs) here and I I did that all the time. But when I got in the studio, I. I knew how to use my chest voice. And I was enough of an actress vocally that I could do a lot of things. So, you know, doing baby Smurf. Favorite
0: commercial you ever did?
1: No, there wasn't any. There were some really good writers who wrote really great stuff that I enjoyed working with them because they were just good writers. There were producers who would recognize that I gave it to them by the third take and, you know, call it a day. And then there were those producers who said, you know, I want my full hour's worth. You know, give me take number
0: 32.
1: I mean, there were just, um, uh, what you hear, by the way, is my dog, I was going to say, in in
0: case folks are wondering about some of the ambiance, to my right, we have burbling tomato sauce that Mo is cooking for dinner. And to the left, we have her 13-year-old dog who is uh, scratching an itch. So, Mo, I guess for the rest of us amateurs, what sort of communications, and, you know, in our day-to-day presentation, especially if we're giving a speech, what's some low-hanging fruit that most of us get wrong that we can improve?
1: Ooh, there's a lot. Um, number one, most people don't know how to handle visuals like PowerPoint. Right. So cut it.
0: Yeah. Cut it because... And they tend to make people glaze over a little bit, I well, think. Well, so.
1: you, when you use visuals, you are asking the audience to decide... Excuse me, I have to get Allie, my dog, <laughs> down from the salad. Allie, get down from the salad.
0: The, this we're not going to cut. She, the show she, goes yeah, on. Yeah, she can't reach. The Allie, sewer. down, puppy. All right. Oh
1: well, that we lost. Communications that. advice. Um, m- m- when you are using visuals, people have an option of watching you or watching the visual. Right. So number one, you have to be in sync with your visual. Yeah. You have to be. Most people use old. Visuals, you know, it's like it's something that was in there, there on their...
0: It's been they've been using it for a while. Yeah. So
1: they throw it in, even though it's lousy, even though it doesn't even pertain totally hmm. to this current speech. Right. So I think that's one of the greatest problems, and it's it's rampant in all the Fortune 500 companies yeah. because all the Fortune 500 companies have this culture that says you must use visual aids right. of some sort. And so they have these complicated graphs of which they're making one point, but in the meantime, you see 12 lines going between 1970 and 2017, and you can't figure out where you are on the chart, and he's only making or she's only making one point anyway. Right. So anyway, that's one of the things. Another what about
0: a tone, sort of just how
1: we use our voice? well i 'm a big believer that you don't use you use the most pleasant voice you have, and I think it uh, you know we 've lost that in our in our in not grade schools but in high school. We used to have a speech course
0: right,
1: although i 'm not sure the ones who taught it knew that much about speech right. actually you know they they had a book and they followed the book but I think what you want to be is as real and as interesting and using as the best voice you have and most importantly you think about your audience it's mm. not about you it's not about you bragging or telling people what you know it's about them, it's yeah. about why did they come why Why are they there? What do they want to get from this? And you giving it to them. Right. That would be the kernel of the most important things, I guess I would say to you.
0: One, one question on the, on the I, it, we're keeping a breathless pace here as we move through the narrative of your life, but um, do you feel like either in your time as a professor or at other junctures, did you feel like you faced much sexism? Oh, huge amounts, huge amounts in the 60s, 70s.
1: How did it manifest
0: itself? How'd you navigate it?
1: Well, you know, in some cases I took advantage of it. Um, um, it just, it was, oh my goodness. I think if you ask any of us who, who became adults sure. and became professionals in the 60s and 70s, we all have huge numbers of stories. Um, you know, I was cute, I was young, I was smart. And I was noticed. I was noticed. And when you're noticed in those situations, you sometimes are put into situations that are difficult and that have some sexual overtones or something, or someone's looking for something. Um, there was all, there, for many years, for easily 20 years of my early career, there was that, oh, we can't have her. She's going to be get married and have babies. Mm, yeah. Uh, I had that with CBS. I was up for a a major position at a very young age with CBS. And there were s- like 11 of us vying for this. It was a it was a a new position of studying to be the next programmer huh. for CBS network. And this goes back to the early 70s, I think. I'm not No, 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 I think maybe late 60s. And um i just wanted to get to new york for the interviews sure. because i wanted to have a free four days in new york at the hilton right so i arranged that my interview would be just before noon i knew it would be with a man and i wore a cute skirt and it was short and um he did pick me at the university of Michigan. And we went to lunch, and it was a nice lunch, and I, he was a dirty old man is what he was, you know? And I knew that. Those yeah. exist, yeah. And that was fine. And, and I was picked, and, I, and, and he, he said to me though, I think he wrote me, or somehow he said, you know, they really don't want any women, but mm. I am putting you in for it. And I thought, yeah, you are expecting for something in return. And I went to New York, and I was the only woman. The others were from major universities, Princeton, whatever. And um, they were all men. And I tried to be nice to them on the elevator going up to the top floor of the CBS building. And I said, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? And they were all kind of cool. And I said, okay, you guys, you're asking for it. I'm going to go for this. And I did, and I, I got to the number two position. Yeah. And I found out that what was said in the meeting was she's she's She'll gonna get married. She's yeah. gonna get married and have kids. So they went with number three and then when number one died after about six months on the job, a young man, a wonderful guy, very bright. I mean I lost to him fairly and squarely. But he died, and they that was when they went to number three and yeah. skipped over me as number two, but it was all fine. I got my I got five great days in New York. I got <laughs> great pictures with all the people who I later then went to a great gala with as Walter Cronkite's date and um,
0: well, here here's the making progress, even when it's uh, you know one step forward, two steps back yeah
1: absolutely, and you've got you've got to take it as that and say this was a win.
0: This was a win. So going back to auditioning for the play when you were still an undergraduate, when did you and Jack, and we should, this this podcast is not about Jack Rouse, but no, Mo, Mo, Mo is famous, but Jack is famous in his own right too. Yeah, I mean, and, and you of know. World-renowned designer of, uh, you know, Uh, Experiences and theme parks, Kings Island for those who are close to home. He's
1: still probably the the smartest man I know. He's a
0: brilliant guy. He's a fascinating guy. But just in terms of uh, your narrative, when when did you all... Well,
1: when when I came home... When when did that happen? When we came home from uh, entertaining the troops in 67. It was the fall of 67. We'd been gone for three months and... Jack said Jack left right away to go to University of Wisconsin, where he'd signed a contract, and so, and I had nothing to do. So I, we had talked about. He said, "Come visit me or something," and I did. And we, you know, had a had a discussion about possible marriage. And while we were there, he gets a call from the dean of the Conservatory of Music, and the dean says, "I've been trying to find you, Jack Rouse." Uh, I want you to come and interview for this job I have of of running opera musical theater, starting musical theater, running opera, running broadcasting. And Jack's, I was there when he got the call, and he said, I've just been here for five days in Madison, Wisconsin. I've got a a contract here. And he said, well, this is until next September. At least come down and see us. So Jack left me in his apartment, (laughs) went down to CCM, came back and said, I told him I'd take it. Wow. He said, it sounds C- To bad. Cincinnati's yeah, great fortune. Well, what's interesting too is that Jack's mother is from Indian Hill and his father's from Fort Thomas. Right. And they went, they, they met at UC. So it's interesting. I couldn't even spell Cincinnati. but. So <coughs>
0: many people still can't. Still can't.
1: Yeah. I have I have a thing that. Was how many st- T's? Yeah. Really? How many ends? <laughs> and um, so that summer we were we were married in June of '68. That summer, two weeks after we were married, we went to entertain the troops in Germany, which was fun, but nothing like the Far East. They right. didn't need it. I mean, there were plenty of Frau lines in Germany. They didn't need me, and um, so so. Um, We came back, oh, I had started already before him. I'd started in January of 68 teaching Married in June of 68 Came back from Germany in September of 68 Both of us were here And that's when our lives together started right. And he stayed for They wanted him and they took me
0: because they wanted
1: him But of course he stayed five hell of, years Hell of
0: a deal Yeah, yeah.
1: I, he stayed five years and I you stayed 31, 31 but
0: so. Before getting back to you what's, what's one, Especially for our, our Cincinnati listeners uh-huh. What's one thing that would especially Surprise people about Jack Rouse
1: He's really Very quiet he really is rather private and quiet, and uh, he can do the great presentation. He can be charming. He's very funny. He's just terribly bright. He's clever. He,
0: he but at core a bit of a but he I maybe mean, introvert's not the right word. But
1: he would rather be home reading a book than out doing shtick. Yeah. And actually, I've gotten to be that way
0: more myself depending on the company a book can look pretty good well exactly
1: (laughs) I mean and you get older and I think it's one of our problems with age we get older and we get we get set in our ways we don't want to spend time with people who are boring and who have nothing to offer and so we in Jack's case he would just kind of Pull back. Right. In my case, I would tell them what I think of
0: them. <laughs> Cincinnati dinner party company, you've been warned.
1: Yeah, really. So
0: uh, you have this wonderful store, Mannequin Boutique, mm-hmm. as I said, uh, sells vintage clothing, jewelry, other items. Well, all... I'm going to correct you. Because... Oh, my apologies.
1: No, no, no. But it's what everyone thinks. Actually, everything is donated. Okay. So no, no one really gives away anything that isn't at least a year or two old. Right. So, you know, if you're if you're 17, you think vintage is Two thousand, right? Yeah. So things that are two thousand, even two thousand and ten, are vintage to okay. someone. So you're right in that sense.
0: But new and and vintage. Yeah, Got it
1: really it. is. It it we have we have gorgeous, gorgeous. I mean, Escada, lots of Ralph Lauren. Um,
0: but it's this wonderful. Con- I mean, it's the, the store everyone should visit. It right there on Main Street. Yeah, it's very a, cool. It, but it also, is. I mean, you, you know, you're you're doing a wonderful service in turn having it be to the benefit of amazing, um, you know, nonprofits and social service agencies. You know, you could have retired after a distinguished career of 31 years, yeah. uh, traveled the world, relaxed, read more. What What made you decide that this is what you wanted to well, do? Well,
1: it, it really just happened. I mean, I had had for many years, I'd, I'd had a warehouse and friends gave me their clothes and I sold them and I'd make a 20000 in one day and I'd give it to the charities and then I'd go on with my life and then they were going to tear down the last um, warehouse, let's say, that I was in. And so I said to the owner, who was a friend, and I said, um, if you can help me find a place to to park all this stuff until I figure out what I want to do. This was when I was around 65 and he said, Called me the next morning and said you know i'm developing one of the blocks of over the rhine and um this was like nine this was 2010.
0: so for the for before for cincinnatians before over the rhine kind of yeah was fully yeah, yeah. what it is today oh
1: gosh yeah. he had a place he had he had space well the whole 14 to 15 block was empty right. but it was being renovated it was beautifully done And I met him down there, and here's this (laughs) glorious space. And he said, you can have this for two years for free. And then after that, there'll be a a charge. And I thought, you know, I've never done retail. I never wanted to do retail, and now I know why I never (laughs) wanted to do retail. It's really tough. I said, okay, fine. So I moved down there. I started fixing the place up, I'm the only one on the block, and across the street are five drug dealers, that's all that was there. Just drug dealers. I'm sure you befriended
0: them. So
1: I went across the street and I said, or
0: shooed them away.
1: Well, I said, "Hi, guys. uh, My name's Mo." I'm the new tenant. Yeah, I'm the new tenant. I'm (laughs) going to open up a boutique for charity, and they all said, "Hi, Mo." You know, one guy said, "Well, the white folk are taking over the neighborhood," and I said, "The white folk are taking over the neighborhood. I'm taking over the neighborhood. It would behoove you to watch my back." And they go, (laughs) "Woohoo!" The next, the next week, I asked them if they'd work for me. I needed to put up some stuff in the store, and they said, yeah, but you gotta pay us. I said, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. And so I picked them up in a UCAN van. I was the chairman of the board of UCAN, the spay-neuter clinic, and I needed a van, and so I borrowed it. And I picked them up in in the van, and I'm driving on 8th Street with these five drug dealers in a spay-neuter van at age 65, and I'm thinking, W, T H W T F. <laughs> what am I doing at How age sixty yeah. five? How did this live
0: dangerously, I- baby?
1: And I thought, you know what? It sure beats just meeting a girlfriend for lunch. <laughs> so, so they became. They were the ones who helped me put shelves up and stuff, and and uh, they were funny, and um, and but but it wasn't all it wasn't all peachy. I mean, it was you you I learned about a whole group of people that I never knew anything right. about. Not just the drug dealers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people who lived in over the Rhine, the people who lived day to day, the people who were homeless. Sure. And it was it was not always a nice learning situation. Right. And they And they took great, Advantage of me, and uh, and that's okay though. I I learned a lot, and that's what I, in many ways, is what I was down there Well, for. in
0: terms of the store itself, I just want to say it's been an incredibly cool, yeah, innovative it is. way to it benefit a lot of really wonderful causes. It is. It is. So. It is. We're gonna do a uh, a sort of brief quasi lightning round. You know, maybe four or five questions, no more than thirty second response. Oh, or you've been reading or, or, or Vanity
1: the, Fair magazine. Or the tomato you sauce, promised. you know, burbles in your <laughs> eye or
0: something. But one one last question, which I think might warrant more than thirty seconds. Um, the KGB throwing you a party. Oh, and it it, did. Am I gonna get in trouble by association by simply asking you the question?
1: No, no, no. It was really sweet, and I uh, I mean. <laughs> There was this, when I, I went to Romania to be a guest speaker through the State Department, I lectured to their their equivalent of Hollywood and I lectured to their Journalist Society and I was there for a month in, I think it was 1979. And it was very much a, a terrible, terrible communist uh, country under the hand of Ceausescu. And um, one day, my host, who was the, the dean of the performing arts school, said to me, um, we're going to go tomorrow to Transylvania, to the, to the castle of the, you know, the... I,
0: Dracula. Dracula. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I said, oh, great. So um, the man who was in, kind of in charge of the tour, I called him Teddy. His name was Theodore, but I called him Teddy. And he ended up giving me a lovely going away party and um, beautiful gifts and all that. And only when I got home and talked to my Romanian friend, who actually was the one who kind of got this whole thing going, did I realize that he was head of the KGB in Romania. and, um, but he was Teddy to me.
0: But you made it out alive and I not quite as nefarious alive. as it all sounded. Yeah. And I
1: didn't get any kind of stake through my heart. It was all okay. <laughs> it was all good. All right, you're, you're still here. It was all good.
0: All right. Lightning round. We've arrived. Okay. If you had 30 seconds with Donald Trump, what would you tell him? Mo Rouse?
1: It's it's not even acceptable on, on a podcast. <laughs> it's simply not.
0: Um, you really have been on your best behavior. Already. I
1: have, and, and, and we'll
0: find some sort of foul or medium to. Okay, to that I mean, message. I mean,
1: vile, um, <laughs> vile, disgusting. Yeah, I, I find him, and and, and and I would like to say that I understand why some people might rally to him. The thing that bothers me most is that those who most need help
0: are the ones who are least are going get, to be helped get by screwed him. by him yeah, 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 i agree yeah, with yeah, that yeah all right your favorite thing about cincinnati
1: um i i think it's just a reasonable city a reasonable city with everything in
0: it oh come on give us a little more romance than that no i
1: can't <laughs> i mean you know i'm so tired of hearing about all the the graders and skyline and that kind of stuff i i think we have the most incredible
0: arts yeah we do i
1: really do which you and
0: jack have obviously been well, great fuelers it, you of. know
1: what when you don't have kids you find something that become your kids yeah. and i guess for jack particularly the arts are it
0: right if you could go salsa dancing with anyone in the world and that person could not be me nor could it be jack rouse <laughs> who, who would it be
1: Oh, my God, just some hot guy <laughs> from Buenos Aires. That looks just, like Patrick Swayze. Someone that I met when I took my, my lessons down there in tango, yeah. All
0: right, and if you had uh, had to have been born in a prior era, which one would you choose?
1: You know, any one of them would have been fine. I think, You'd have found uh, your way. Yeah, I think uh, being a flapper in the 20s going back to the beginning of the country. Um, yeah, I, I would have found the joy of any of them. I truly would have.
0: I, I, I think we believe that. And after everyone getting uh, to know you better today through the podcast, I think they believe that too. Uh, Mo, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. That'll do it for today's episode of Keeping It PG. You can find our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can keep up with me on Twitter. The handle's at PG Sittenfeld. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.